I think you see Josh Lucas and your mind translates it to Matthew McConaughey, generally speaking. I guess. Funny, though, this is a little bit of a reunion because uh, Josh Josh Lucas and uh, Christian Bale starred together in um, American Psycho. I thought you were going to say Rain of Fire, and I was like, no, that was Matthew McConaughey. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the only podcast that matters. Starring Keith oh, Foster from holy. San Diego, California. Holy shit, that is a bold claim. There are so <laughs> many podcasts. I don't the know only that I one. can own that. The only one, Keith. I mean, did you listen to Serial? It's over. <laughs> okay. It's our uh, time now. Yes. My name is Keith. Your name is Cassidy. You live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes. Is, so you is always that make necessary. It was. You always make fun of the way I open the show. So I decided I'll just rather than going with the uh, the catchphrase that I made up for the show, I'll just steal the the clashes. So we'll just we'll <laughs> okay. We'll just do that. Or if you can remember it, we could do the catchphrase for uh, Degeneration X from WWF. I think it was just the the suck it arm X's like you put your arms together and you go bam 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 yeah on your crotch. I thought there was like I, <laughs> I thought that there was an adjoining catchphrase that went with that. I guess suck it <laughs> would be it. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Uh, uh, no, we're gonna look this up. We're gonna Google this right now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> oh, Jesus. This is real. I googled D-Generation X catchphrase, uh-huh. and what pops up, uh, according to the Bleacher Report, WWE, the top 25 catchphrases in the WWE, D-Generation X's catchphrase was just suck it. <laughs> that's what I thought. But I was like, no, that's too on the nose. It had to be something close to that. No. There were fucking writers that were paid for that shit. It was the 90s, people. It was oh a different time. Also. It, oh, wait, wait. Here, so, and if you ain't down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it. There so there's a bit of a preamble. <laughs> That's good, though. That should be our new thing. If you, uh, Okay. Welcome to the MacGuffin Podcast. <laughs> if you ain't down with it, we got two words for you. Suck it. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Armexes. It reminds me. <laughs> first, well, wait. What number did that come in at, at on their listicle? Oh, I don't know. That was just the like. That was just the thing that popped up. Let's let's do a deep dive here on the twenty five <laughs> best WWE catchphrases. Uh, twenty five. Our truth. What's up? I don't know that one. Um, Twenty four is Triple H. I am the game, and I am that damn good. 
Um, okay. I, I, I don't know if you're going to read all of those, but while you're scanning that no, we're, article. We're doing this. We're doing this. While you're scanning that article. <laughs> as Val Venus. Hello, ladies. Today, we're going to be reviewing Ford v. Ferrari. And at the end of the podcast, we are also going to be reviewing the film A Marriage Story on Netflix. Did you find what number that came in at? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, okay. Um, up to what? Holy shit. Okay. Some of these are kind of trash throwaway ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 14 is Ric Flair's Woo. You know, his I'm... Woo. How is that not in the top 10? That's just okay. a, like a sound, really. Not a, really a phrase. I guess. Why you got to yuck my yum? <laughs> Okay, it's in the top ten. Oh, it, uh, clocking in at number eight, Degeneration X. Suck it. Hey, yeah, crack the top ten. Okay, that's uh, wait. Okay, I gotta, I gotta find out what number one is. Uh, number six. I'm sure is, can you hear what the rock is cooking or smell or whatever? Oh, that's a good one. It has uh, to be. I don't know. What about Austin three sixteen? Um, okay, I'll, I'll just go through the top five. Okay, number five. The Undertaker, rest in peace. I don't ever remember hearing The Undertaker talk, but whatever. <laughs> uh, number four is, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Uh, number three is John Cena, You Can't See Me. I don't... <laughs> I didn't watch the Cena years during the Cena years, so... Yeah. I don't know if his shtick was like an Invisible Man thing. John Cena! <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> bit is so good. Uh, oh, oh, fuck. Okay, number two is The Rock. If you smell la 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 la, what The Rock is cooking. Okay. Okay. Number one. Any final guesses as to what number one is? Um, I mean, I don't know all the catchphrases, but I'm going to imagine it's like a Hulk Hogan or a, a Randy Savage or something like that. Coming in. Oh, at number yeah. one. According to thebleacherreport.com. The number one WWE catchphrase of all time was Stone Cold Steve Austin, give me a hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could have done better than that. Okay. I'm, okay. Well, I'm now we know. Now we know. Now we know. And we have so many catchphrases to choose from now. Um, <laughs> all right. So at the top of the show here, I wanted to go over... Uh, I found I found a a thing you mean on Twitter. Your intention wasn't to go over the top uh, <laughs> WWE right. catchphrases. We are transitioning to a wrestling podcast. Um, <laughs> I would be so fucking down. You don't even know. It's actually a very popular podcast genre. Uh, no, I found a thing. <laughs> I, th- I found a thing on Twitter where they post where somebody posted Isaac Feldberg posted his uh, favorite least favorite. Insane. Well, he says here, movie taglines that make me feel insane starter pack. So I'll go over, and then other people commented below it with their favorites. So I'm going to go over through some of these, and I'll start. I'll just read off the the tagline, and you can let me know if you recognize which movie it comes from. And if not, if not, I'll just tell everybody. But uh, we'll start with this one here. Oh, this is a really new one. So like. Probably don't know it. I wouldn't. But it says, they say no one can save the world. Meet no one. Jesus. Uh, That is... I'm going to guess Hancock? No, way newer than that. 
Oh, okay. Um, like last five years? Like last five weeks. Oh, Jesus. Um, God, I can't even think about what's come out in the <laughs> last year. Uh, I have no idea. It's that new Michael Bay movie for Netflix, Six Underground, starring Ryan Reynolds. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe this is what kind of set off uh, this idea. But here's one. This one's a little bit older. Um, let's see. By the way, I have to admit, there's nothing I love more in this world than a bad movie tagline. Oh, yeah. They're always terrible. Uh, two agents, one city, no mercy. Oh, no. There's actually, I read that wrong because there's a little bit of a hint in the tagline. Two okay. agents, one city, no mercy. I'm going to guess, uh, uh, what was that movie called? Ballistics X versus Sever. No, I don't even know what that is. From, you don't remember that one I with don't... Uh, Antonio Banderas? <laughs> this is from Paris with Love. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have. With uh, John Travolta. All right, I hear this one. I feel like X versus Sever was just as good of a guess. <laughs> sure. All right. When a girl has a heart of stone, there's only one way to melt it. Just add ice. What? Uh, <laughs> Never mind the physics of that. Doesn't make any sense at all, but... Not any goddamn sense. Uh, okay, just going off of the context clues in the tagline, I'm going to guess Frozen? <laughs> I think this is this is becoming a wrong answers only uh, <laughs> kind of thing, but I love it. Um, no, this is the Vanilla Ice movie, Cool as Ice. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> In the early nineties, yeah. Uh he what? had he, it, was, it was like his eight mile. Okay. Oh my God. Hopefully that can be on our streaming homework soon. <laughs> this one's this one's kind of a prestige picture, actually. Uh talking just causes witnesses. <laughs> um the king's speech. <laughs> <laughs> Winter's Bone. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. They they spent all the money making the movie, not on advertising or marketing. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> People were paid for this fucking copy. I know. Yeah, probably not very well. I mean, it was an indie film. Um, okay. Extermination is a reward for the world's richest prize. I don't even know what this movie is, so I doubt you will. Oh, I was going to... Uh, Joe's apartment. <laughs> That's a good answer. No. White fire. Looks like some exploitation thing from the 70s, maybe? Uh, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Um, these are the like the ones that people are commenting with. All right, here's, here's this one. This one's fun. Life is for living. I'm going to guess... That is so bad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm torn between... I have three possible answers. Okay. That Eddie Murphy prison movie, Life. Okay, that would be uh, um, good. Uh, Life as a House, starring Hayden Christensen. Interesting. Or that fucking Terrence Malick shit. Which one? <laughs> Tree of Life? The one with the dinosaurs Tree and of everything life. happens. Yeah. No, uh, this is for the Zac Efron films, Charlie St. Cloud. Mm. Of course it's Charlie St. Cloud. Now it's so clear. <laughs> okay, here's here's another bundle. 
they shouldn't have put him in the water if they didn't want him to make waves. Free Willy. <laughs> that would be like the second one, like Free Willy's Revenge or something. <laughs> um, no, this is Striking Distance starring Bruce Willis. A lesser oh, Jesus. Bruce Willis 90s action movie. Uh, all right. Have I gotten any of these right? I no, but so. I like your answers better. He's a cop that's not. Turner and Hooch. <laughs> uh, Blue Streak starring Martin Lawrence. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, I gotta get more obscure with these. I felt like I was... Ah, uh, fuck. When he said I do, he never said what he did. Oh. I feel... Okay. I feel like this is a spy... Secrety thing. Uh, this almost sounds like a like a horror too. Um, mm. I keep wanting to. Th- was Ashton Kutcher in a spy movie? Uh yes. You're you're kind of on the right track, but not at all. <laughs> I'll just um, I can just tell you. Okay. It's True Lies. Uh, but you're thinking of that Ashton Kutcher movie Killers. Probably, yeah. Which was basically like a bad True Lies ripoff. Well, I was I was getting the Ashton Kutcher domestic spy movie confused with the Tom Cruise domestic spy movie, which were both just kind of knockoffs of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Which were taking the concepts from True Lies and running with it. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? All right, you're not going to get it from the uh, from the tagline, but this one's particularly hokey. Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? Uh, I'm thinking it's like a car chase thing, possibly an airplane thing. Uh, again, g- g- give me a hint. Like maybe a, uh, is it too much of a giveaway to know who's the star? Um. Yeah. <laughs> It definitely okay. would be uh, late uh, late '80s science fiction. Oh fuck! Um, late '80s. Yeah. Why are they putting seatbelts in the theaters this summer? Back to the Future. See, that would make more sense. No, this is Star Trek: The Final Frontier. What the fuck? <laughs> what the actual fuck? That one makes me mad. <laughs> You haven't even seen the poster where it shows like a galaxy and then an actual theater seat with a seatbelt installed on it. Okay. Floating in space. Why are (laughs) they? Why are they pudding? Wait, wait, which one was that? Uh, The Final Frontier. That's uh, Star Trek V, right? The V? Yeah. Have you seen? Are you looking at the poster? What the fuck? <laughs> also, okay, uh, I I'm gobsmacked by that marketing campaign. The worst. I think it that- is the worst. They're trying to make it like fucking Star Trek: The Final Frontier is some adrenaline based <laughs> like like this isn't the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I thought for sure this was going to be like Snakes on a Plane or Air Force One or some like plane <laughs> crashy movie. Right. <laughs> or, or at least like a car movie. Like, how was that not Need for Speed or Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift or some bullshit? Like, 
What? Well, the, this predates the all those by like 10 years. They don't even have fucking seat belts on the Enterprise. <laughs> That's actually something they should think about. Um, okay. So uh, this will be the last one for this segment. Okay. All right. There's nothing wrong with a little shooting as long as the right people get shot. Oh, my God. That could be literally anything. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, tra- it, it uh, might be a little insensitive for, like, the last X amount of years. I don't know if that one would probably right. get on a poster right now, but... Uh, my joke answer is train spotting. Because <laughs> of all the heroin they Sure. Uh, uh, what was that movie with Clive Owen, where he was, like, a master assassin... Oh, um, what was it called? Well, clearly it's not that by your reaction. No, um, what was that called, though? And uh, Paul Giamatti, right? Yeah, I don't, I never saw it. I just remember he, like, ate a carrot in the trailer or whatever. That was, yeah. like, his thing. No, uh, not that one. Okay, wait, say it again. There's nothing wrong with a little shooting as long as the right people get shot. Die Hard 4. No. Uh, it's that De Niro Pacino B-movie, Righteous Kill. Oh, God. Of course. Yeah. Of course that movie would have a tagline that bad. Oh, uh, the movie we were thinking of with Clive Owen was uh, 2007's Shoot 'Em Up. Shoot 'Em Up, that's right. See, that makes more sense. Fuck. Fuck this. (laughs) Fuck this game. So, catchphrases are awful. Nobody knows how to market a movie. Um, I mean, that's not I th- true. I there's think that the there's main... some classic ones, sure. like in space, no one can, can hear, hear you scream. scream yeah. and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, We Eat People Barbecue. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was the one yep. that got everyone in the theater. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I guess there's the exception is a good one. Every once in a while you hear good Most of the time it, it's fairly cringy. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and start talking about the the movies we're reviewing this week. And uh, I'll start us off with uh, Ford v. Ferrari. This is directed by James Mangold, who most recently uh, did the the movie Logan, an action movie that a lot of people liked. He also did The Wolverine, an action movie less people liked. Although I kind of am a little bit of a Wolverine apologist. I think the Wolverine's solid until the last 20 minutes. I think they, it... Yeah, it shits the bed, for sure. Um, oh, he also... Di- wait, hold on. He also directed... Mm-hmm. Full fucking circle here. James Mangold also directed the uh, domestic spy romance thriller starring Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz mm-hmm. night and day night and day there was there was a period where there was a bunch of movies that were exactly the same he, uh, James Mangold also directed walk the line and I believe didn't he do girl interrupted yes he did and the movie yeah, Copland. He did, uh, and uh, 310 to Yuma he's done mm-hmm. some shit he's a guy so Ford v Ferrari I know I remember when uh, the trailer first came out for this uh, a lot of like uh People were excited that a uh, a sort of populist actionish movie that was coming out at the end of the year that didn't uh, wasn't connected to any like larger movie universe was coming out. I guess the the story is basically how 
Ford in the end of the 60s was trying to compete and trying to break out of a, uh, a rut that they were in. So uh, one of their marketing team comes up with the idea of getting the Ford to uh, beat the Ferrari in a world-famous race. Uh, what, what do they call it? The that? Le Mans. The Le Mans, yes. To do so, Ford would have to essentially uh, build a car that is fast enough to be able to do that. Um, so they they hire on they hire on Matt Damon, who's starring as uh, Carol Shelby, and he brings on a friend of his named Ken Miles, who is a a cantankerous British driver who's the best at what he does, but is not. Uh, a people person by any means and doesn't like taking shit and doesn't want really like taking orders from anybody. So throughout this, we see um, them trying to build what is, you know, the Mustang that we know we all know today, um, but trying to build sort of the prototype of that and get it to the point where it can beat a Ferrari. And at the same time, uh, Matt Damon's character is advocating to keep uh, the Christian Bell character um, as the driver, because uh, everybody working at Ford uh, is afraid that he's not going to be a team player. So it kind of goes back and forth through that. Uh, so th- those are the two points of tension is, will they be able to build this car in time for the Le Mans? And can Matt Damon uh, keep the suits happy long enough to to make sure that uh, he can get the driver that he needs to do this? Yeah, that's the basic setup here. Uh it's kind of funny because the movie's called Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah. But it's really like Ford's movie. Like oh, it's for definitely sure. from the Ford perspective. This isn't like uh uh you don't see both sides sort of cuz I don't know. I think it's kind of funny the title sort of implies more of a um duplicitous story. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's firmly in the uh, can Ford get their shit together to beat Ferrari because they, uh, they've won this Le Mans race pretty much forever. Uh, nobody's brought a car that can kind of com- keep up with the Ferrari and, and compete with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, also underneath it all is this story about, uh, Matt Damon, who it, it, he was a driver who, had driven in the Le Mans, but mm-hmm. um, he had to retire due to health issues. Um, the the high speed intense racing was bad for his heart. Uh, right, and you also have Christian Bale, who's sort of trying to balance this life of an adrenaline seeking race driver um, with being a family man. Uh, you know, with providing for his wife and his his kid. Um, because he's a racer and he's also like sort of a down on his luck mechanic. Yeah. Um, so not only does he love to race, but he sort of needs this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the real thing here about this movie is it is the most dad movie to ever exist. For sure. Uh, it is dad bod the movie. Like it is just. <laughs> This is a, a TNT movies for guys who love movies kind of thing. Sure. Um, but also, but sort of done in the most broad and palatable way possible. Yeah. Um, my thing with this movie is it 
This movie doesn't do anything to try and reinvent the wheel. It just tries Pun totally to, intended. Uh, yes, totally. Okay. Um, it, it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. It just tries to make the best wheel possible. Yes. And I think that works in this movie's favor. It's not trying to be anything that it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to do what it does the best you can do that. Right. Um, and, and that is, you know, um, cool, slick comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know what you're saying. Like, it's like, it's a like classic three act save the cat kind of s- screenplay. Totally. Like but- it, there's nothing about there's no bells and whistles on it. There's, you know, there's nothing about it that's trying to subvert the genre or in, is postmodern in any kind of way. It is purely a sports movie in like the the most classic sense. Yes. Um yeah. and uh, it but I I think it provides as that all of the necessary thrills and drama that uh, makes those type of movies entertaining and a successful formula. Totally. I, I that, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even though it is playing by these rules, I mm-hmm. think the movie succeeds in in nailing those genre conventions really well. Yeah. Um, like, the characters are compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Christian Bale, as always, is just completely watchable yeah uh he just you know sort of steals every scene he's in very magnetic Um, and he gets you know it's interesting that christian bale like he's had such a weird career but um you know he's this guy that ever i think hollywood like wants him to be a leading man but he just in his soul he's a character actor totally he, yes, exactly. That's why he, he always makes these very deliberate choices. That's why he's always like up and down with the weight gain, weight weight loss, costume choices, hair choices, you know, all of these things. Like other outside of like his Batman work, really for the most of his career, it's it's been character work. Yeah, but it, but he gets top build character work, which is right, re, which makes him. It's why I'm such a fan of his, is yeah. I know that whatever project he's working on, he's going to bring some level of uh, interesting character choice to yeah. it. I mean, even Batman, you know, he at least went for it with the weird voice. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't my favorite choice, but... It was a choice. It, it, you can still see the same sort of... Uh, actorly work being done there. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, just, yeah. So he is completely watchable. Um, Matt Damon is, you know, he's turning in his Matt Damon best, uh, uh, nothing remarkable, but again, he's just sort of holding it down. Yeah. He's yeah. playing the character exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. And, he, um, and of course he's sort of a straight man to, uh, to Bale's more wild and unpredictable characters. So uh, his job really is to support and be a foil for the other role. And he, in that he does really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, he has his own thing with the, like with the health issues. And I thought it was an anxiety issue um, because I don't really say specifically. No, he he says it uh, has something to do with his heart. Okay. Um, like there's a blockage and and 
just the high speeds were too much. It was too much, yeah. Point. So, yeah. so there is a little bit there. He has his own thing in the movie, but um, it's it's not really a hundred percent about that. There's an, no, um, and, but and uh, also alongside of this, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have these two characters who are trying to build this car and trying to just make it to the race. Yeah, um, but also sort of following that is Ford the company um, because it's this big manufacturing, you know, it's, it's one of the world's largest car manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is sort of done by committee. Right. And so a lot of the choices they, they make are um, not the best for the goal of winning Le Mans, but um, in, in uh, in that you have, uh, you know, a pretty fun little cameo from John Bernthal. Yeah. Um, he plays Josh a guy, Lucas. he's a, he plays, uh, Bernthal plays a guy who is, uh, you know, uh, the big he idea. Sort of comes up with the idea. Yeah, comes up with the idea and he's sort of on the side of the audience and the side of, you know, uh, the, the, the pair that they eventually hire. And then you have Josh Lucas pulling in his, like, slimy business guy character that he plays in yeah, pretty much playing every, movie. every character he's ever played but again yeah. he plays it so what well. he's cast so appropriately yeah that you can't really be mad at it no uh, although i am convinced that josh lucas could commit murder um and perform all sorts of heinous crimes and matthew mcconaughey would go down for the crime <laughs> uh and people also, compare them all the time i actually i don't think they're uh, that similar they're, I guess they're like I think you see Josh Lucas and your mind translates it to Matthew McConaughey generally speaking I guess the, funny though this is a little bit of a reunion because uh, Josh Josh Lucas and uh, Christian Bale starred together in um, American Psycho I thought you were going to say Rain of Fire and I was like no that was Matthew <laughs> McConaughey <laughs> um and also, you have a pretty fun performance uh, from Tracy Letts, yeah, um, as the, the actor and playwright, head of who Ford, plays yeah, Henry Ford the second. And uh, I, he had a pretty, sm- uh, I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, talk talk about a, a great character actor role, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, you know, like we said, this is just a pretty by the numbers sports movie. Um, and it checks all those boxes, but I think it does it in a really palatable, really uh, watchable way. Mm-hmm. Like, the characters are engrossing. There's enough backstory there to where I, I care about what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. I want them to succeed. Uh, the racing is impeccably shot. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about more than anything here, because I think, you know, on a script level, on an acting level, it's all exactly where it needs to be. Uh, yeah. But I think that what what makes the film work and what sort of like the film lives and dies on is the racing sequences. Uh, yeah. A lot I, of, we're getting a lot of like from the windshield perspective of of the the road. Um, and you can actually feel the speed of these vehicles, which is important. Um, and, you know, even though I'm sure there's a lot of like green screen and, and computer trickery to make some of these sequences work, it feels pretty real. And it feels like a lot of it is practical. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of it was real stunt drivers mm-hmm. on 
they might have been on like studio lots and and sort of yeah and rigs and stuff up like some that. of the background and stuff but but it works it looks there's a tactile feel to this movie you feel the weight of the cars you feel mm-hmm. the speed of the cars the race scenes are genuinely very exciting yeah um and they have in to particular be. the the daytona race sequence i thought was was really well done mm-hmm. i mean they're all of the racing is really well done but that sequence in particular was like oh here we go and um, it's also uh edited very well because yeah. you know there's these sequences where we see christian bale and he's like a one or two laps behind where he needs to be for whatever reason and then he you know stops to get something fixed on his car real fast and he goes to make a call and you as an audience member are thinking like get back out there like you you don't have time and so there is like a thrill aspect of it where you where you feel the ticking clock the way that you're supposed yeah. to and that's not something that just naturally comes because the characters said so that you have to be able to feel the urgency and that only comes from you know great editing and great uh uh timing on these type of sequences so um i think on a technical level especially this movie accomplishes everything it needs to do if the if the the races were boring then that then this movie would drown yeah and honestly i think I kind of feel that with a lot of racing movies. Um, uh, what's funny was, uh, after the movie, me and my wife, we started talking about that movie Rush. Right. With, I thought um, about that as well. Yeah, with... Um, uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Chris Hemsworth and, uh, and, and the other guy. Josh Arnott. Uh, what's Brule? Daniel, Daniel Brule. Yeah. As Nicky Lauda. Uh, <laughs> right. And I... I remember enjoying that movie, but I don't remember feeling the race sequences as viscerally. I can't remember the race sequences from that movie. Exactly. I mean, I remember there were race sequences, and I remember that the movie was, like, okay or whatever. Um, But, yeah, I think this movie is much more interested in uh, making a, a visceral connection to the racing. Yeah, you feel a weight to... and. And also, there's not that much racing. I think it, uh, there's there's like three really important race scenes, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of you know a lot of it is them like test driving this car. To, you know, there's there's plenty of thrills. I don't want to ma- make it sound like three sequences is minimal. Yeah, um, because they really make those. You feel those scenes, and you you really feel the weight of them. So I, I think in a way it's kind of a less is more sort of thing. Like you don't have to see them do every race to sort of like qualify or whatever. Yeah. The way in a typical sports movie you might. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a really compelling scene where Christian Bale isn't able to go to one of the race scenes. He's sort of stuck at this garage. Right. And and so there's this entire like a lot of the qualifying races and and whatnot you experience through him listening on the radio and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think that was a nice touch um, because it makes the moments that he's behind the wheel matter more. Right. This is also one of the few times we've seen Christian Bale actually using something closer to his actual accent. Yeah, which was kind of fun. Yeah, because he's playing a Brit in the film. So, yeah, I, I thought that 
and it almost kind of feels because we're so used to seeing him and doing American accents that he that he's doing an accent. Might not be like his exact I think, Welsh accent, but yeah, I think he's definitely doing a specific dialect that yeah, that's not exactly his not own. As, yeah, and yeah, that we're not as familiar with as like you know not knowing the nuance of all of you know the the United Kingdom's right different dialects because there are a lot. Um, yeah, but it does feel pretty natural to him i think yeah absolutely uh there's one sequence in the movie i thought was a bit hokey and uh it's a sequence where uh his wife is driving and she gets upset about something and she wants to like get an answer out of him so she starts speeding and going up these windy californian hills and and tries to scare him into like giving the giving away what he's been doing with with matt damon um and uh i don't know i thought it, i thought that sequence was just a little hokey for me uh i i actually disagree with you i actually really liked that sequence because I really liked the way she, uh, uh, oh God, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Catriona Balfe. Okay. Um, I really liked how she played the wife role. So again, this is a very dude movie. Sure. Um, uh, they don't give her a lot to do. Um, but instead of sort of playing like this, sort of typical naggy wife, like, mm-hmm. you can't race, you're in too much danger kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they make her a lot more sympathetic than this type of movie normally does. Again, it's not really about her. It's definitely more of a romance between Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Sure. Then, um, But I think they give her enough to to make her feel specific, to make her feel... She's good in the role, and I think she fills it out, even though there's not a lot there on the page. Um, yeah, and and I that scene like- in particular bothered me because it felt a little too conscious of, well, let's give her a moment to shine, or let's you know, like break this character out of the box a little bit. But and- that's why I liked it because it 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 takes the time to to give us a, a unique take on her mm-hmm. character because so much of so much of Christian Bale's character uh Ken Miles um who by the way you know this is a real story uh yeah. Ken Miles is it's based on real, a real thing uh, mm. yeah um but the movie goes to great pains to show him as a family man and yeah. to show that he's sort of torn even though she's supportive mm-hmm. um and, and so i do think that is kind of important uh, you know it it is to further his character more than anything. Um, but I I liked how the movie addressed it. I, I I think that the female characters in movies like this get sidelined way too much. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to give her this little bit of a moment. Um, I, I, I get what it's for, but I was I was acutely aware of what it was for when it was happening. And I, you know, it's a movie based on a true story and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, dramatic altering of that story, but I wasn't thinking about that until that scene. When that scene, I was like, oh, this a hundred percent never happened. Um, 
Uh, like yeah, this is a I mean, movie scene, and that's that's fine. And I I think that you could have dealt with something like that and be able to give her something to do without like, well, let's let the lady race too. It just it felt a, a little a little hokey, especially given that it's shot exactly like the sequences they they do with the other racing sequences. But I, you know, to each their I, own. I can see that and appreciate it, but uh, for me, it worked. I I. I <coughs> I do think it does take you out a little bit because um, I was also very aware of it, but it didn't bother me. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm really kind of like uh, grasping a straws for anything negative to say because I really do like the movie a lot. I, I also want to say that this movie, um, you know, we talked a little bit about movie length mm-hmm. uh, before the podcast. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a longer movie, but... yeah. I you don't really feel it like it, no. it has a good pace. I think it moves pretty well. I was never bored by it. I was never like, okay, let's wrap this up until maybe the very end. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. And there's a there's a certain conclusion that it comes to that I debate. I'm like, do we need that? Do we not? I don't know. It's it's there, I guess. But you know, largely speaking, I I appreciated the pretty much everything here i think it's a it's a crowd pleaser and it's yeah it's it's a fun time at the theater and yeah and this is a gr- great movie uh, i know you know we're reviewing it a little bit late mm-hmm. um but i think it's a great option to see this with the family over the holidays yeah like, this it, is kind of an uh for a four quadrant kind of deal yeah and and honestly uh maybe i'm a little more I, I mean, I really liked it, and, I, and maybe part of that is, like, in my head, I'm just... A lot of it, I was like, ah, my dad would have loved this. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of what this movie's for. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, there's a place for that. And that's it's nice to see that type of thing treated with respect mm-hmm. and, and not just sort of uh, a studio project that's shit out. Like... Yeah. I mean, it is... There was borderline a Ford commercial and sometimes borderline. Well, well, okay. Let's talk about that. Sometimes because... borderline a Coke commercial. Yeah, that's true. There's a couple moments, <laughs> um, but I actually, I think that Ford as a company looks pretty shitty. Yeah. Because of the, yeah, they treat, they don't treat them well throughout yeah. the entire movie. Like the actual, the actual executives. Make... Yeah. Yeah, and as a company, they kind of make it look like a fucking, like, compare, you know, compare the scene where Henry Ford II is talking to his factory workers about how he's going to fire everybody who doesn't have a good idea. Yeah. uh, To when we see the Ferrari factory in, like, each car is handcrafted, literally built by hand by you know individual people like i think it kind of makes ford look not great and and it's it's funny because the whole movie Mm -hmm. the idea of them entering this race was as a big pr push for ford to show you know to show that they can compete with sort of um you know pristine high-end automobiles and they make, as a company, the movie portrays them as making the worst possible choice at every turn. Yeah. Uh, like self-sabotaging by committee. Yeah. So I actually, uh, like, 
afterwards we came out of that and my wife was just like, I fucking hate Fords and this makes me hate Ford even more. Like, <laughs> I don't think it, it necessarily portrays Ford in the most positive light. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, I think that the overall feeling is like, you know, yay, yay Mustang, yay innovation. Um, but I do, but you're right. I, I think that it is, it is slightly post-capitalist in its depiction of the suits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, they're they're sort of the villains. Right. Uh, and of course, we know. know, like, the actual, you know, the way this all turns out, because X amount of years in the future, they ship all those jobs overseas and decimates all of Detroit. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's Ford B Ferrari. What did you what would you give that? Uh, I'd give this a solid B plus. Yeah, same. Same here. It's it's just so palatable. It's it's very close to an A because, like I said, there's it's not really doing anything wrong. If there had just been an extra level of creativity somewhere in the script like if it had gone just a little above and over like uh the genre conventions then maybe it it's right on the on the bubble of being an a yeah but i also almost think that it didn't i almost think that it was better served by not pushing for that no right i wouldn't it's it's it made the safer choice of just doing the thing and doing it really well um yeah but had it take a risky move and it panned out, then that's what would have that's what would have uh, crossed that line from a B plus to an A. But there's yeah, nothing wrong I, with uh, absolutely nothing wrong with making the safe choice and doing it really well. Yeah, yeah. as long as you do it really well. Yeah, cool. Which they do. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the Netflix homework then, and we'll start talking about a marriage story. Uh, or That's right. This is part two of our Noah Bum back to back episode. Yes. Uh, if if you listen to our last episode, we reviewed Noah Bumbach's first movie, Kicking and Screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're doing a Noah Bum back to back by reviewing his most recent movie, uh, Marriage Story, which just came out on Netflix. I mm-hmm. think it has a small limited run in theaters just to get those award nominations. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was released uh, in yeah, theaters a few weeks before it was on Netflix. Gotcha. Uh, so this is the, this is a movie about a couple, Adam driver playing Charlie and Scarlett Johansson playing Nicole. And they are in the midst of a divorce at the beginning of this we're basically following it's funny because it's called marriage story but it's really a divorce story um and you see sort of the progression of that divorce like mm-hmm. at the at the beginning they seem pretty amical about it yeah and um uh you know they they don't want to hurt each other in the process they want to try to do it without lawyers um and then and they have a kid uh, involved, which is very yes. important. You know, they have a young eight-year-old. Yeah, and then and then uh, Scarlett Johansson's character Nicole ends up seeking just like some advice from a lawyer, and that sort of spirals out of control into a full-blown um, ugly litigation. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is just—it's sort of a reverse love story. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, as far as the plot isn't too dense, no. um, but, you know, like Noah Baumbach's other movies, this 
it's not really about plot. It's about, you know, the characters and, and uh, their relationships. And specifically, it's this movie is, in my opinion, trying to get an authentic feel for how two people can still love each other, but know that they're not right for each other. Yeah, this is sort of a the anatomy of the end of an the end of a relationship. But I also think it's important that it's, it can't just be the end of a relationship because, like you said, they have the son. So no right. matter what, they're gonna have to be in each other's lives. Yeah. So it's like navigating how they find their own life moving forward, but while still you know, while still respecting the other person. And specifically, Adam Driver's character is a uh, playwright and a, uh, a play di- play director and has his own little troupe in, in New York. And, uh, you know, his wife was very involved in his, in his work. Um, yeah. And then she moves out to Los Angeles to get a um, job at a, she doing a pilot. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of the tension is also like, you know, about custody and, and geography. Where's, where's the family going to live? Is it a New York family? Is it an LA family? Mm-hmm. Because her family um, who she's staying with uh, while things are proceeding is, is in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Uh, I did appreciate the running joke of, of everyone talking up California and just being like, all- there's all the space. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, you know, this could be, I mean, this is a very dramatic movie, but there's also a lot of uh, sort of dry humor. And I think there's humor all throughout. I mean, I, I, yeah. I would say this is, I, I mean, largely a, a drama, I guess, but I, I think it's pretty funny. And uh, yeah. it never yeah. really, it never like. But it's not like. It's not like a broad comedy. No, it's, no, it's, it's 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 not like a you know goofy pants kind of movie. But it has a very wry sense of humor. Yeah, and it's but but I would say that it's sustained too. It's not just some like some dramedies or whatever you might see. It just like starts starts with the funny until it gets to like second second act, and then it's like serious serious. It's it always kind of keeps that balance throughout the movie. It's like it, you know, it lets you laugh a little bit, then it pulls you into a more serious scene, and then back mm-hmm. and forth. And, can, and it, even sometimes within its most serious scenes, it'll give you a great one-liner or something like that. Yeah, to- totally. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know a lot of that is through uh, pretty well-written dialogue, mm-hmm. and um, and also I think at the nature of this movie, it has a romantic heart. Yeah. Um, Even though it's about a divorce, like I said, a lot of the movie, a lot of the tension comes from the fact that even though these people might not be in love romantically anymore, Mm -hmm. they still care for each other. They still, they do still love each other. It's just a different kind of love now. Right. And, and I think that's hugely important. Um, And they're also, one of the things that makes it sort of an interesting uh, connection between the two is they're so artistically and professionally connected because they both learned their craft and perfected their craft as a couple. Like we yeah. we see the scene where you know they're like right in the thick of of the breakup and 
Uh, it's the last, you know, the last time that she performs one of his plays, and it's, uh, you know, there's not going to be any future performances. But before she goes to bed, she sees him looking through his little notebook and says, I know you have notes for me, and you're not going to be able to sleep until you tell me. Go ahead. And you can tell that she genuinely wants to hear that criticism. Yeah. Which you would think in, like, a relationship that's ending, the last thing you want is to hear them criticize your acting. But she really actually respects his opinion. Yeah, and and I think he respects her as an artist as well. Yeah. I, you know, as you know, uh, uh, my wife and I, we marry or we met through artistic endeavors and, and, um, you know, we met through our improv comedy troupe and, you know, it's not exactly the same, but, um, but I also like, I understand how you can have that level of, you know, this is professional talk versus couple talk. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that is a, a really interesting aspect to their relationship yeah also i i'm uh at the beginning of the film and this i i I love this screenplay um but at at the beginning of the film it starts out with them reading these letters that they hand wrote uh you know Mm -hmm. as suggested by a divorce mediator that they decide not to use but they write everything that they love about the other person no negative things and it tells you pretty much everything you need to know for the rest of the film about yeah. and, and I th- I thought what was fascinating about those those letters beyond the fact that it gives you a good like profile of each character is uh, the one thing both letters had in common for th- for the other person was they said he's very competitive or she's very competitive <laughs> and mm-hmm. th- you're like ah okay <laughs> now we like that sets everything into motion totally. because this is yeah. uh- basically it's it's a it's a needs and wants issue that that uh separates them yeah uh yeah i agree with you i think um this movie they also i think they bookend the letter device really well Mm -hmm. like when i at the beginning of the movie i was like oh okay um but they kind of bring that back and that's when i was like oh fuck okay that's really cool Mm -hmm. um yeah uh because i think if if it had just been used as an expository device, I might have been a little harsher on it. Mm-hmm. But it is used so well. And another thing that I liked about it was how consistent the characters are to the descriptions at the beginning. Yes, um, like they and how they know, reveal themselves sets, throughout the film. Yeah, yeah, and how you and how you see the character through the other character's eyes is really cool yeah yeah i i do think as far as the acting goes i know you know like that one scene is very uh very memeable right now right twitter's Um, having fun with it but i i i i actually never watched it on twitter because i didn't want to spoil the movie for me for any reason i tried to avoid it as well because it is sort of the dramatic crux of the movie yeah it's a it's um, a it's a key sequence and i guess but, like out of context it looks like you know a lot of acting going on which it is but um i don't know we'll, i'll yeah, let you and, we'll say what you're gonna say well i was gonna say i can feel that a little more from scarlett johansson there are some moments um that feel very scripted uh if you know what i mean like that 
And I don't want to say she's doing a bad job because I think, I think she's a great actress and I think she is doing a, a good job. But I kind of think that Adam Driver's a little next level here. Hmm. Um, it just feels so authentic coming from him. Yeah. That I don't think of it as a script. Whereas there are a couple, she has a couple sort of monologues where she's like sort of explaining the situation. Like the scene where she's explaining the scene, uh, uh, her marriage to Laura Dern, her lawyer, uh-huh. which is a really good scene. And it's a great monologue, but it also feels like a great monologue, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. I, I think that specific monologue, yes. There is um, there is aspects to the film. Okay, so it gets a I, – I would argue that there is a little bit of a meta thing going on here. Not a ton. Like, I don't think – I don't think that uh, uh, Bombak is trying to be overly precious, but I do think that, like, you know, he teaches theater. She's a theater actor. There's a, a lot of this film that feels very theater. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, like this is a screenplay you could definitely put on stage. Yeah. And there's, yeah. It's, it's basically a movie about a, a movie filled with scenes, people talking in rooms. And in yeah. these like long conversation set pieces, um, and when when the movie decides to highlight a monologue like that, yeah, you can almost see the the lights fade behind her and and just like a, a spotlight on uh, for that moment. And I I think there is an aspect of it where that's supposed to supposed to feel that way a little. Um, and I and I don't think that it's because you know. She, she's stilted at all uh in no, that particular and, and moment i don't mean it i don't mean it to sound like i think she's doing a bad job because i think she's really great in this movie mm-hmm. but i also couldn't help but sort of compare this to uh her performance in jojo rabbit sure i, I because you know she's also a very matronly mother very playful um in that she felt a bit more natural to me in that i don't know i I can't quite put my finger on it exactly uh uh it was like something just a little in the distance Uh, and i don't know maybe like i said maybe it's because a lot of her the bulk of her scenes are either with laura dern or adam driver um and god laura dern can we just talk about Laura Dern? Can this just become a Laura Dern fan cast? I think it has to be. Yeah, uh, she's she is fucking amazing. So in this. fucking good. Yeah, uh, I hated her cuts in this. I, I loved her in this. I mean, and I I love the character. I think I I actually never like. I know that she's supposed to seem kind of shrewd and one sided and a little whatever, uh, and very like kind of L.A. fake or whatever. But I never. I never felt felt like hatred for the character because first of all, she's so fucking good in the role. I yeah, was just and, like, and you d- you definitely get a sense. And I also think the screenplay is very careful about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, there's a very uh, the scene where they're sort of having this mediation meeting. Yeah. And they just like break all the divorce talk to discuss lunch. Yeah. And oh, you know, I, I think so good. scenes like that 
were really important to her character. Yes, absolutely. To show that she's not just a piece of shit. Well, and to show that for her, this is just her job. Like, her job is to get into the emotional muck of, like, the worst of the worst of humanity. Like, when uh, Alan Alda, who uh, plays one of uh, Adam Driver's lawyers, he has a great Mm. line where he says, you know, and I think he's quoting somebody else, actually, but uh, he says, uh, criminal attorneys see the worst people at their best and divorce attorneys see the best people at their worst. No, um, I think that was, um, I think that was the, uh, Ray, Ray Liotta lawyer who said that. I thought that was the Alan Alda one, but whatever the, the, the line is, is, uh, funny, but yeah, that's exactly what they're doing here. So they're trying to, uh, just talk about, you know, the nuts and bolts of this, uh, divorce negotiations. And of course they're not allowed to talk. So it's, I I wrote my review for this last night and I said that, you know, the 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 divorce attorneys that we see, whether it be Laura Dern, Alan Alda, or especially when uh the Ray Liotta character who plays kind of this more bullish, hard nosed uh divorce attorney, um, are like the uh perfect anthropomorphization of the these characters' ids. Like they're allowed to yeah. say everything that they're that they are uh you know, too embarrassed or too afraid to sit being saying to or each other for years. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that scene in particular where the, you know, they're in the middle of this very intense conversation and they, you know, they're like, Hey, let's, let's get something for lunch. And then like, you know, you can tell like Adam driver and, and uh, Scarlett Johansson's characters are, are like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, and I, you know, coming from uh, uh, kicking and screaming to this, the the oh, elevation yeah. in quality was so extreme, I almost got a nosebleed. Oh my god! Right, like this is. It, it, I'm actually, I'm actually. It made me appreciate kicking and screaming more. Sure, just to see how far he has come. Because, right, I mean, this is a great character study. It's yeah, and. and it feels like it has so much more purpose, whereas like kicking and screaming feels very—it feels a little self-indulgent. It feels very writerly, mm-hmm. whereas this is like he actually has something to say. He right. actually uh, has an opinion about all of this, right? And he—he um, he is a child of divorce himself, and he well, clearly, right? <laughs> and I he mean, uh, uh, was married for a long time to Jennifer Jason Lee until they got divorced. Um, oh, and Jennifer okay. Jason yeah, Lee was, had I been know, in a few of his movies. So I didn't know specifically like his, but he obviously had some personal connection. Yeah. And of uh, course, you know, the film Squid and the Whale covers a lot of this territory as well, because that's a movie about divorce and children being in, caught in the middle of it. The, the biggest difference is I think Squid and the Whale is more from the children's perspective. And this one's more from the adult's perspective. Uh, one thing I also want to point out, uh, uh, this is a little bit of a sidebar. This is going back to sort of what we talked about with the, the state, the slight staginess of everything. Okay. Um, there was something that, and this is getting really nitpicky, really in the weeds here. Um, but there, the theater company, uh, at the beginning. Oh, okay. No, I, so you're getting, this is, we're getting into like, like hard geek, like hard theater geek kind of stuff that that you're noticing. Yeah. So they act. 
they're very expository. Like a lot of the setup of sort of like where the characters are at in time when we first meet them mm-hmm. um, is delivered to us. And basically this theater group is acting as a Greek chorus and catching us up on like exactly where the characters are at. Like it's at the rap party and you hear every character is only talking about them and their relationship. And they're like, Oh, did you hear she's moving to LA or we're going to miss her in LA? Is she coming back? I don't think so. You know, like it's all done. And they come back a little later. There's a little bit of a passage of time and again there's sort of this useful like greek chorusy thing mm-hmm. i guess my criticism there is i mean a greek chorus is a very specific uh trope and and tool i guess i kind of wanted to see it sort of come back at the end uh a little bit it kind of it doesn't really. Um, so to, that was like something that to, to me, it was like, that's a really weird device to use and then just kind of throw away. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that was nece- necessarily the way he was intending to use that. Um, I, I can see. Oh, I, I am certain of it. He, I mean, the play they're performing is Electra. Uh, which is a Greek tragedy. Like yeah. it, in no uncertain terms, was that what he was going for? Okay. Like, it, 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 I mean, again, it's know. a very theatrical device. Yeah. Um, I just, I just kind of wanted to see like one more beat of it. Okay. If that makes sense. Just to like fulfill that role in the the genre stuff. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I guess I can also see a reason why you wouldn't, you know, yeah. because if if it becomes it could become too overwhelming. Um, I just felt like that was worth bringing up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, that's something I wouldn't have noticed myself. I just thought they were there to, you know, to kind of show like his, his world and, and uh, kind of fill out the, the New York thing a little, uh, because it is very the different than how they <laughs> depict uh, her family in, in LA. Yeah. Well, the more I'm kind of talking it out, the more I'm actually deciding I really liked the choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I guess I just wanted like uh, one more like coda with it. And and you kind of get that at the end where he's in the bar with them. But I I guess I just wanted a little bit more of that device used. Okay. Full circle. Interesting. Um. I mean, for me, this is like a perfect film. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's a single scene I'd change. Uh, I was really wrapped up in it and I, I love the way it progresses. And I, you know, I laughed a lot more than I thought I would in a movie like this. Um, mm. and, you know, we've seen kind of like, uh, Annie Hallish, uh, two for the road style taking a relationship and playing it from the end to the, to the beginning kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and it, that's a device that, you know, usually works, but, uh, yeah, I think this one does that in a way that's a lot less device heavy. Um, yeah. 
I agree with that. This isn't, you know, Eternal Sunshine where they have to invent a sci-fi right. uh, memory machine to, to get us there. Which I Yeah, or even just like too. really obvious editing and that kind of stuff like, you know, uh, or... Uh, you know, breaking breaking down the story plots uh, out of order in a specific way to emphasize drama. I think this this kind of has like a uh, such confidence in the performances and such confidence oh, yeah. in in the uh, the progression of the story that he doesn't have to do that. Like we learn so much about their past without having to like cut to you know that scene or whatever. Yes. He does that a little so- bit, but it doesn't overdo it. I was so happy, like, um, like I feel like the movie gives us just enough to never fully be on either person's side. Yeah, uh, I, I did, I did kind of feel a little bit more for Adam Driver just because I feel like uh, uh, typical male. <laughs> well, I, I do think you see more of the movie through his perspective. It's true, and and you see him get emotionally sidelined a lot more than her like her it feels like the damage is done mm-hmm. it, it you know it, it's it, in not that those wounds aren't still fresh but you're actively seeing him get his heart ripped out right uh in ways that you know i think had already been done to her character right um so i i do think that was interesting i don't know i i mean you can tell I like a movie when I get really nitpicky about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know um, what you're saying. I think it it the movie doesn't judge the characters. And I, no, no, and and I'm glad that it doesn't spend too much time on that. And mm-hmm. and I think um you, you know like we know that Adam Driver has an affair, but that is like that is not what this is about at all. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, their their marriage was over before he even did that and i think that's important and i think um you know her how stifled she feels is important and and all of that is is i think really well done in a way that doesn't overly condemn the other character yeah i i completely agree with that although it was funny i was on twitter a while ago before i saw the movie and uh uh contributor and writer for the for the mcguffin alan uh, tweeted something that I thought was funny. Uh, he said, My wife and I, while watching A Marriage Story, me, I love this movie, but I hope this never happens to us. Her, well, then don't do anything stupid. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I, I, It's funny. I kind of had the same thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, God, I never want to go through this ever. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I almost <laughs> feel like before anybody gets married they should be forced to watch this with their significant other (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no i think i think this is a really good uh, i in it feels like you know fairly realistic portrayal too yeah stylistic and realistic at the same time yes yeah yeah because certainly you know not everybody is as articulate as these characters are throughout the movie or for most of the movie. So we know uh, we don't normally give our Netflix homework letter grades. Um, but in this case where it's a new release, do you want to I feel like we should throw down? Yeah, for me this is an A+. This is up there with his best work as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think I gave this an an A. Um mm-hmm. 
I think I might have to watch it again before I could... I don't know. It's hard for me to give A pluses. I don't... That, maybe that's not even true. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it A. Okay, yeah. No, that's perfectly acceptable. All right. So if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about on this week's episode, go ahead and give us an email at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com or contact us on our uh, social medias at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. And if you're uh, following us um, for the next episode, we'll be reviewing another new Netflix uh, award push uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. If you want to watch that with us and uh, and um in anticipation of our next episode. Yes. I uh, almost forgot about that part. Okay. Um, and you can also follow me individually on Twitter at BC Cassidy. Be sure to read the reviews I write for the Idaho State Journal at the Idaho State Journal's uh, homepage. They have an arts and entertainment section and a movies subsection under that. That's where my stuff hangs out. Uh, you can also read the articles and see the podcast archives um, on the MacGuffin's uh, page mcguff.in slash author slash Cassidy. You'll see all that stuff there. And while you're there, uh, be sure to read the other articles and reviews by the MacGuffin staff. Um, Keith, what are you, uh, do you have anything coming up? Uh, not really. Um, but you can follow me on all the socials, um, except Facebook, fuck Facebook, hashtag delete Facebook. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Foster kid and Instagram at Keith Foster kid. Also, you can follow my, um, self-indulgent art account at sticky note aesthetic, mm -hmm. um, on Instagram. Yes. Um, also follow, uh, my video sketch group at video fasties. Yeah. I was going to ask um, if you had any more of those coming out. We're, we're still just trying to bank a few more episodes uh, or a few more sketches before we start sort of rolling out releases of them. Mm. We, we definitely will have more stuff coming out soon. Um, we just want to, you know, with the holidays, it's a little hard, but um, that's true. We just want to build up our catalog a little bit and then we're going to start releasing stuff. Cool. Um, Video fasties. Yeah, make sure you start following that because um, some of the sketches we have done, I'm I'm very proud of. So nice. Uh, and I forgot sure to mention, I actually started my own Instagram account recently because I I was pretty much just using the MacGuffins Instagram <laughs> account as my own because I had, didn't have one. And every once in a while, I'd want to post something or comment on something and be like, eh, it's not appropriate as representing the entire podcast. So I just went ahead and, and built my own 19 years after it's been a website. But um, <laughs> yeah, so mostly right shortly, <laughs> shortly before the internet crashes down and society collapses beneath our very feet. Yeah, I'll, I'll have my own Instagram account, but mostly I'm just uh, posting records and stuff that I that I uh, recently purchased. But I, I, you know, who knows what I'll end up doing with it in, in the long run. I mean, I feel like sometimes I feel like people put too much pressure on their Instagram. Like, yeah, unless you're an active Instagram influencer and like that's your fucking job, that's your fucking money. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like people just, I don't know, don't put too much thought into it. Like, if that's what you're interested in, just share it. Don't, I don't know, don't worry about it too much. I'm definitely not. Um, okay, so I think that is the end of the episode. Criminal lawyers see bad people at their best. 
Divorce lawyers see good people at their worst. Are you performing that as Ray Liotta or Alan Alda? That was just me literally reading the line. <laughs> uh, I can give you my Ray Liotta. Okay. Criminal lawyers see bad people at their best. Divorce lawyers see good people at their worst. Yeah, try Chantix. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. bye. <laughs>